Hello and welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards, the host of PureAndSimpleBible.com, and I'm so thankful for you to be with me again and to listen in with Jamie Thompson and I as we talk about roles and reclaiming those roles. Now, last week we talked about the husband-wife relationship inside a Christian home, and to the world, this may appear very different than what we see, especially in Western culture around us, but for those who desire to follow the Bible's teachings, then here is a roadmap in Ephesians chapter 5 for how husbands and wives are to get along. Today, we're going to be talking about parents and children, and specifically the commands given to fathers and how they interact with their children. So very important episode, uh, a very important relationship within the church between parents and children, and especially for fathers, about how they lead their homes. So please listen as we discuss. Because because it's not about us. Correct. It's about Jesus, mm-hmm. and we're unprofitable servants <laughs> doing just what is our duty to do. Amen. Amen. Okay, great. That was a... I feel encouraged just by talking about it. Um, as a husband, I feel encouraged. I felt encouraged whenever I heard you pre- preach it at Sulphur. So, you know, this is a double dose for me. Um, talking about the next relationship is children and... Uh, we're going to say children and parents, but I think specifically you're going to talk some about fathers Yes. in this because that's the way the Scripture... Yeah. Uh, words and in times past i have been deliberate to make it about parents but um i can't tell you when in a in a timeline i realized that i was actually doing a disservice to the scriptures by making it gender neutral uh it needs to be to fathers because the scripture says fathers yes yeah. I'm, I'm maybe stealing a little bit of your thunder but <laughs> maybe it's because I'm, I'm i'm trying to repent with butter tears. Um, Did you say bitter tears or butter tears? <laughs> butter. <laughs> butter and bitter. Butter. Like the, I like mind. butter tears. I'm going to use that from now on. Um, so I think it's um, it would be easy. We get to the end of the chapter and let's call it quits. But I wanted to continue on because while the husband and the wife are important, it's not just about women submit to men. There, there is a pattern of relationships and a pattern of submission that God wants us to get that Paul wrote about under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's not just husbands and wives that are in view here. Paul also talks about children and parents. Why don't you go ahead and read um, chapter 6, verses okay. 1 through 4, please. Sure. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment we promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So we've got another two persons here. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got the children and you've got the fathers. Now you're right when you talk about parents because the children are to obey their parents, their father and their mother. And I wish we had time to get into the the Old Testament quotations there. Um, I think there's a lot there. Uh, I think I still got a lot to learn about how Paul is referring back to these Old Testament commandments. But the point is, children submit to one another by submitting to their parents. But 
they can't be um, abused, they can't be tyrannized, they can't be put down because there's the other side of the relationship. And the other side is specifically fathers. Children need to obey their parents, um, but as the head of the wife, it is the father's responsibility to be the head of the home. Mm. He is the one who has the responsibility of bringing them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So that just means that he's in charge of their spiritual education. It's his responsibility to see that his children uh, know about Jesus and know about his commands. And when they're grown up and no longer children can freely uh, choose to uh, obey Jesus and become Christians themselves. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we've told our kids over and over again, and I preach this too, is you learn to obey mom and dad so that you can learn how to obey God. And we stand in the place of God right now as you learn what's right and wrong from us so that whenever you grow up and we're not there anymore, you have a healthy respect for obeying God. It's so important. I was going to ask if that is the way you view the first command with a promise, or is there a different way that we should be interpreting that? Is it because it's the children's first command to obey their parents, or am I missing something from the... I think you might be right, Jonathan. I don't really have a good answer for you. I think that there is maybe a little bit more here than I understand. I think we can get the the, the basic principle that children need to obey their parents. That's how they submit. But mm. I think maybe there's a little more. Maybe someone can write into you and you can <laughs> let me know. So, okay. Someone's banging their steering wheel probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, because our, our focus is on the how we apply this command, not just a, an Old Testament review. Um, I'm curious, though, about your thoughts. You, you said the fathers is responsible. Um, I guess I'd like to know, in what sense does, does this work if the father's gone? Let's say, you know, there is a traditional home where the father works and the, the mother stays home raising children. Whether or not people fall into that traditional home life or if they're a dual working home, uh, these days it's more common than it used to be. Um, but more often than not, generally speaking, the man is gone 8 to 10 to 12 hours a day. So how does he do this command if he's never home? Yeah, I think that's that's a good question. And while it's the father's responsibility that doesn't mean that he can't delegate that responsibility and um if the father if the father's in the home like if 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 there is no father let's start from there if there is no father present then the mother is going to have to do the best that she can um and sometimes there the the ideal doesn't exist that the mother is going to have to um raise up her children the best she can. You know, we, we have the example of Timothy, who was taught um, the scriptures by his um, Ooh, that's a good one. mother. Yeah. Is it Lois? Lois and Eunice. I forget which is which, by his mother and his grandmother. Mm -hmm. So the, fa the father wasn't present. He was a Greek. Um, so he wasn't teaching um, the scriptures to Timothy, but the, the women did what, the best that they could and taught him if the if the father if there is a father in the family and he is a christian 
then it's his responsibility to make sure that the children get the education, that they can't um, provoke their children to wrath. They can't um, discipline them uh, without justice. And they need to make sure that their children know about Jesus. And they can do that by um, letting their wife teach the children. Uh, Perhaps the wife is at home, perhaps not. Um, with the children and and she can teach them or um, but it's his responsibility to make sure that it it happens and if they don't know about Jesus if they're not taught about Jesus and there is a father in the family he's the one that's going to answer and you know I, I, I wanted to make this point that the the husband the father has responsibilities that he will be answerable to on the judgment day he doesn't get to just sit back and take it easy because while the wife is submitting to me, the, the children are obeying me. Now, he's got responsibilities mm-hmm. that he has to step up and lead. Yeah. And the, the man of God has to act like a man. Ooh. And the woman of God has to act like a, um, a woman, a, a godly woman. And we'll, we'll get to that. I'm over here rushing through scriptures because... I'm going to go back to the you started off with what what happens if a home doesn't look like this traditional view, yeah. which is fairly common um, in most pre-marriage counselings that Merce and I do. Um, most of our couples have had at least one divorce okay. that they've come from. Uh, rare is it that both couples come from married homes. I, we've had that, but it's it's actually not as common. And so um, I don't know if we want to call it non-traditional homes. I don't know what's the, the appropriate respectful term. So mm-hmm. forgive me to the listener who may hear that and say that, you know, that wasn't the right word. But um, I'm thinking of Psalm chapter 68, verses 5. And it's talking about God and it calls him a father of the fatherless. And a protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. And I love that he's the the father of the orphan and the protector of the widow. And so for the the mothers out there listening who are maybe single moms wondering how do I raise these these kids and to your point do the best you can we take comfort knowing that God is ultimate the ultimate father and there's a reason he he uses that relationship language because it's something that we can identify with. Yeah. The role of, of, of a father is so important to a, a child. Nobody should disagree with that. No matter what worldview you come from, a father is important, is essential. And when the father's missing, then we want to encourage single moms to bring these kids to Jesus and to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord who wants to be the father to the fatherless. Yes, I, I love that. That's beautiful. You know, I think... We talked a couple of times about, uh, you described it as the bell curve, that not everybody fits right in the middle, that there's some extremes, and there's some families that don't look like uh, exactly what's described in Ephesians 5 and 6. I think that's natural in the sense that God is going to describe his ideal and instruct his people to have his ideal. But life is messy, and sometimes we find ourselves maybe through no fault of our own, um, in a less than ideal situation. 
that doesn't mean that God's word doesn't have something to say to us. And while maybe your family doesn't look like the ideal family uh, that God wants to show that picture, but you can still find answers in the Bible Mm -hmm. and you can still know how to raise your family or to submit to your parents Mm -hmm. or to submit to your husband or to love your wife, mm-hmm. no matter what your family looks like, there's an answer from God about how you should act and be pleasing to him. Mm-hmm. We live in a sinful world, and there's consequences of of sin, and we just look forward to that last day when everything's perfected in heaven. Amen. And you know, um, homes that maybe don't match the the blueprint of Ephesians 5 and 6 with the, with all the players in them, how many times in the Bible have we read of, of people who overcame tough home lives to become a model of faith? And I think in the same way earlier how we talked about when husbands and wives fulfill their role, they're actually going to be shining that light out into a world that maybe doesn't appreciate but will come to wonder what's different about you, mm-hmm. right? And so it is with maybe single parents or you know, a non-traditional family where maybe you've got a parent and and the grandparents are helping or whatever it may be. Um, Maybe there's a a blended family, right, of step parents. But these these ones that that don't match the blueprint of Ephesians 5 and 6, when they glorify God and they turn it around, yes, there are the consequences of sin, but then there's also the, the garden that God can make out of the mud pit that we sometimes put ourselves in. That's right. And, you know, back to First Peter chapter 3 about the husbands potentially being converted without a word. Sometimes people aren't open to reason, but they can look at our lives and say, there's something different here. Mm-hmm. And that's that's powerful. And that that's converts people sometimes. And, you know, um, I don't want people to think if they're in a family that doesn't look exactly like Ephesians 5 and 6 to think that they're being excluded. Because remember, if you're in the church, Jesus died for you. Mm-hmm. Well, he died for you whether you're in the church or not. But when he looks at the church, no matter um, whether you're in a family that looks like Ephesians 5 and 6 or not, Jesus loves you. He sees the church as something perfect. And he wants the best for you. He wants you in heaven. And I just think... I just don't want to feel like anyone's left out. Right. I get it. I get it. And I I think this conversation and others that I've had um, are are, are healthy and appreciated and enjoyed by people that maybe grew up within a a single parent home or parents who are divorced. Um, the, The hope that they have is that God accepts them as they are presently in the relationships they have. But the beauty of this uh, transformation is that each generation is another opportunity to do it the Lord's way. Yeah. And so maybe you grew up without a dad or a mom. You get the chance to be the dad mm-hmm. or the mom in a home that's going to serve the Lord. And that's another one of these pre-marriage things we just really try to emphasize with, with young couples, especially ones that coming from a, a blended family or a home that's that's just got a single parent is you may have not known what it's like to have a dad and it may scare you thinking how could I ever do this I never well I mean I had I think as 
great of a father as could possibly you have, and yet still I feel like I don't I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So all of us are going to fall short of of our roles because sometimes I just think that's the best we can do. Yeah, yeah. While we all aspire to be like to to show that picture, we all mess up sometimes. No matter how perfect we look from the outside. Every husband fails to love his wife at some point. Every right. wife fails to submit to her husband at some point. Right. But the the point is that you dust yourself off, you repent, and you do the best you can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. Repent. Make sure that you repent and don't just dust yourself off and do the same thing. <laughs> now, in this command, we, you've got children who are obeying their parents, and... Um, I'm curious about what obedience looks like across the lifespan. Is it always the same? Is it different? What are your thoughts? I think that it it does look different as um, the as the child grows. Especially, I, I think the the easiest way to see that is when the child grows up into an adult and then gets married. Because now they've got a different relationship that they have to work within. And if the wife has to submit to her husband and obey her parents, well, how does that work? Mm. What if there's some contradiction? Yeah. Who does she obey? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, um, Genesis chapter 2, or is it chapter 3, um, that the, um, for this reason, uh, the man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they shall mm-hmm. become one flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, a new unit is created. A new right. person is created in a sense. that The two are made one. And you're not the same as before then. Yeah. And I think an, another relationship that we enter into, our children, Lord willing, will enter into that changes our relationship is when they become baptized, when they are baptized, when they accept Jesus and um, become his disciple they have they, they, they've made a commitment to Jesus then and they're not ours in the same sense uh, maybe you can speak to that I don't have children who've become members of the church yet I'm sort of an expert <laughs> <laughs> but what uh, what do you think surely that changes the relationship oh, it somehow it does now Gabriel uh, was baptized at the time of this recording about six months ago. So, I mean, I'm, I have so much experience. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there was a noticeable difference. And and I'll say this. I read a book. It's been nearly 15 years ago called Raising Modern Day Knights. Maybe I've, I think we've talked about it before. I don't know if, if you remember that conversation. But the premise was... In the same way in that medieval culture, you know, the knight is what we all see, but before one became a knight, they were a squire, and before they were a squire, they were a page, right? And we're all thinking of Sword in the Stone, the animated. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what? But, uh, yeah, the the this little boy is born, and there's a certain age of life development he goes through as the page. And then there's an, like a ceremony where he becomes a squire, and then he he's now training and emulating what it means to be a knight. And then there was the ceremony where he's knighted and become. But the the point that the book was making is our culture 
in America, and I'm just going to say, you know, the standard culture, I'm sure people could find different ethnic backgrounds that, that would contradict this. But in our kind of standard American culture, we don't have a lot of like life development ceremonies. Some rite of passage. Um, in, in the Mexican culture, the quinceanera is a very important 15-year-old rite of passage to become a woman. Um, the bar mitzvah is a very important Jewish tradition to become a man. Well, we don't have those. We have like, you get your driver's license when you're 16. Mm-hmm. Graduate high school, you maybe. You can smoke when you're 18. <laughs> <laughs> you can drink when you're 21. Like, that. this is, we've got it backwards. So I'm going on this long tangent to say, um, I really do think it's healthy to have developmental stages where we do, our relationship does change. And so Gabriel's 12, but he interacts with Marissa and I differently now that he's baptized. Mm-hmm. And when he moves out of the house, even before he's married, if he so chooses, he'll interact with us differently. Yeah. And when he does get married, to your point from Genesis 2, then you know we would treat him differently. But what I tell people is when it comes to how long does a child obey their parents is I'm 37 years old. My dad is, I think, 68. If dad asked me to take out the trash, I would say, yes, sir. And I would do it. Because I honor him Mm -hmm. and I trust him. I trust that dad has my best interest at heart. And if I'm taking out the trash, it's because they're hosting my family, probably my brother's family. And we've got 15 people in the house and it's crazy. And he just needs some help. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to be like, hey, I'm my own man. (laughs) I'll I'll take the trash out whenever I want. Um, I would honor that. But, But. at the same way, I look at Gabriel, and I know when he's 37 and I'm 60, whatever, I won't be trying to uh, be his boss. Yeah. You're not going to, well, then and now, you're not trying to provoke him onto wrath, right? Oh, what a great transition. That's my next question. It's like changing the roles. Can we talk about provoking to wrath? Yeah. And what is that scripture talking about? Well, I think it's to do with the responsibility. You know, it, it, the responsibility that comes with authority. When we were talked about the husband and wife, because the husband is in a position of potential power, because um, the wife is submitting to him, there is a safeguard that Jesus has put in place where the husband can't do just whatever he wants. He is instructed to love his wife with this self-sacrificial love to put her needs before his own. I think in the same way, Children have a protection where the fathers, with their authority, can't just crush them down underneath their thumb. They're to deal with them justly. I think the provoking unto wrath is children have a sense of justice. Everyone has a sense of justice, some more than others. (laughs) My eldest, (laughs) Ruby, has this terrible, well, I won't say terrible sense of justice, she has a, a very strong sense of go. justice. Nice reframe. And um, she's very concerned from any slight injustice. And as a father, it's my responsibility to make sure that to the best of my ability, I deal with her justly and all my children. That I can't... Uh, I, what? How do I want to say it? That if I were to... Uh, make them do things that were unjust, that would provoke them to wrath. They need to see from me, 
like you talked about, a father figure. I stand in the place of God in only in the sense that I'm teaching my children how to obey God. Mm -hmm. And if they see from me injustice, then I'm not modeling the role. Yeah, then the, the attachment that they put on God from the attachment that they had on you is attachment that is insecure. Mm-hmm. It's not a secure bond. And I think it goes back to that, um, the, uh, where is it? The bringing them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. That if they're seeing injustice from me, then they're not getting the training and admonition from right. the Lord. Exactly. They need to get justice from me to see the justice in um, the Lord's instructions. Um, one of the things that I try to encourage parents with, especially fathers, since this verse is about dads, is the injustice that a child feels is often one that they can't communicate whenever, especially a small child, but that sees the inconsistency in your life. You, you're telling them, do as I say, but not as I do. Mm-hmm. And so that provoking unto wrath has almost the connotation of an eruption. There's an eruption of anger because it's so unjust. And so this is when a child may throw a tantrum or cry, and not always, but for dads, um, man, it really, it behooves us to live the life. And what a detriment to the church when you put on a mask on a Sunday before the brethren as though you're a righteous man, but then you go home and maybe you have the television on with all sorts of ungodly things and you're just approving all the way. But then when your kids say a word, you just blow up on them, you know, this cuss word that they heard, you know, you listening to the whole time. So many examples we could give, but our hypocrisy will be our downfall if we put on a mask for others, but then our children see us being inconsistent. What did Jesus get the most upset about? The Pharisees being hypocrites. Yeah. And um, I think that's absolutely right. By the way, I really enjoyed hearing you say wrath, not wrath. That was nice. I actually got confused. (laughs) (laughs) I think I was like wrath because you've said wrath. Come join my side. (laughs) It's wonderful over here. Well, I said behooves, but I think that's more of just like uh, trying to be British than Australian. <laughs> it behooves us. Um, let's see. Uh, have we missed anything in parent-child that you wanted to bring out? Um, what is the nurture and admonition of the Lord? How about that? The whole series of doctrine? Is it something specific than that? I think it's positive and neg- negative teaching. Nurture. When you're nurturing someone, you're being kind and loving and encouraging and the admonition is the discipline. So the father's job is to encourage their children, okay. build them up when they do right, okay. and admonish them, yeah. correct them, discipline them when they do wrong. And so you're you're uh, bringing them up with two hands, the hand of justice and the hand of mercy. Okay. You know, I don't know Just why like this, this made me go this direction, but I have heard... I've never been a businessman. Let's just get that out there. I've never worked at a Fortune 500 company, but I have heard that the best CEOs are the ones who don't micromanage, that they're very confident in their subordinates. They're willing to let their subordinates do their job, and then they kind of 
oversee and direct, etc. And it seems like in a home that is doing what the will of the Lord is, uh, a husband and a wife, a husband is going to love his wife and she's going to submit to him and the children are going to be obeying their parents and the father is going to be raising them up in the nurture and admonition. Um, but part of it, of that is going to be the delegation of what it means to instruct and to discipline. Am I, am I off or am no, I on here? I think here? you're absolutely right. And if we look at Proverbs 31 with the... the um, mm-hmm. uh, the the virtuous woman? Virtuous woman. I was Virtuous was the one I couldn't think of. She's doing a lot of stuff. Her husband's sitting at the gate, which means that he's there in a leadership position in the city. So he's busy... Um, doing his work in a place of honor. And she is in the home and uh, working with the family business and um, providing for her children. She's doing a lot of things. And the husband is able to delegate some of his authority. Now, he's still responsible to make sure that the children get their training. And he is the one that's um, to be the the head of the home and um, to love his wife and so on, all the things we talked about. But there's absolutely some delegation that can happen. And I think that um, it takes a, a great deal of wisdom to lead, to know when to, you don't want to micromanage, like you say. You don't want to tell everyone what to do all the time. But you don't want to be too lax and let just things fall into entropy. You want to um, give enough instruction so that uh, there's, what needs to be done gets done, but also leave enough space to grow, for your family to grow. Uh, whether that's, uh, I, I, that's not a particularly insightful comment. That's, that's what we do all the time. It's but validating. it's very, very challenging to know how to do that. I know that's something that I really struggle with. It's something I'm, you know, we're all learning. We're all trying to grow and fulfill our role. Uh, correctly to the best of our ability and I, I guess as long as I live I'll be learning how to fulfill my role well if somebody ever figured it out then they are the perfect man yeah. you know and his and, name was Jesus <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but we are perfected in Christ it doesn't mean we're flawless and yes. so listen friends uh, men and women alike for the roles that you have this conversation is not intended to beat you down for uh, falling short of your roles as much as it is if you are falling we want to encourage you to repent and dust yourself off and get back up and, and give yeah. it a try well the apostle john says in in first john that those who are righteous practice righteousness those who are yes. unrighteous practice lawlessness yes and the point is it's what is your what's common what's your habit what are you continually doing all christian sin all Christians fall down and, as we said, need to repent and uh, conti- uh, keep doing the right. So just because um, your life previously has been bad, maybe it is bad now, or just because maybe you've made mistakes and you you think, don't, don't look at others. Look at Jesus. Mm-hmm. He, he's our model. And do your best to practice righteousness. Yep. Make righteousness your habit. I won't say I do it right all the time, <clears throat> but... <laughs> <laughs> No, one of the things that I feel like I hope I hope that when my kids grow up, they'll they'll look back on this fondly, and that is when I've recognized as a father that I've made an error. 
in front of the group, whether it's at the breakfast table or at family worship, I will apologize to the child that I've wronged and ask for their forgiveness. And I think that that is a, it's humbling for me. I remember when I started doing it for the first time, I think Gabe was probably three, four, five, and it was almost impossible, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm the man, yeah. you know. But where I am right now, I, I snapped at Penelope the most recently, and I remember, and, and Marissa was there, and she was just kind of like, what is going on? Like, that is, the, what happened versus the response is not lining up, and, and I, I recognized it pretty quick as well. But just to say, Penelope, what I did was wrong, and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Is big, and I want to encourage parents to take on that ownership. I really struggle with that. It's something I really aspire to because when I do do it, it's so powerful. There is nothing more humbling than having a child forgive you because oh, they're yeah. so innocent. <laughs> and I, it's it just melts my heart when I apologize to one of my girls and I say, "Do you forgive me?" And immediately they nod their head. Yes, yeah. this so innocent and so forgiving is it's so humbling. What I'm taking away from this, Jamie, is that you don't ask Gavin for forgiveness. No. <laughs> <laughs> for the tape, um, he's he's less than two. So, right. Yes. The this is an evergreen episode. So, Gavin, twenty, thirty years from now, you could be watching this go, or listening, going, "It all makes sense." <laughs> but no, we're talking about it whenever you're uh, quite young. <laughs> incapable of uh, assenting to the forgiveness. Um, are we missing anything in the conversation about children and parents, or do we want to move on? Nope, unless you want to push back on something. I think we're... we're well, oh, I on. forgot. Shoot, I'm supposed to push back, aren't I? Um, well, I can't think of anything, so I think you've answered all my questions. I'm, I'm now ready to be baptized for remission of sins, <laughs> <laughs> if I, I take on that role. <laughs> I think we covered it just in the discussion, though. Yeah. You might not have... Um, really push back against me, but I think we, I think we covered some objections. We, we've talked about this for a long time and the, the listener may not see the notes as you and I see the notes. They've heard us talk about the notes, but I just want the listener to hear that. I think there's like two sentences that you have in your notes about <laughs> parents and children. And we've stretched that into a 30 minute conversation, which I love because I love talking about family. And uh, so thank you for spending the time with me on that. Now, the last one um, is bondservant master. It's from Ephesians 6, verse 5 through 9. Um, before I read, I guess I just need you to um, help me understand, does the Bible advocate slavery in this scripture, bondservant master, or Old King James? Does it say slave and master? I'm not certain. I may not be certain, but I do know that you can come back next week and hear Jamie's answer. That's right. We're going to make it a cliffhanger. And this episode, which focused primarily on the relationship between parents and children and specifically for fathers as the spiritual leader of the home and how we are supposed to train up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So dads, I hope you feel motivated. Moms, I hope you feel motivated as well. And children, I hope you also feel that strong desire to obey your parents and learn how to effectively obey God. But come back next week as we consider the third relationship, as we consider how to reclaim our roles. And this relationship may be, in my opinion, the most controversial because it is 
the relationship between now in the 21st century, we commonly call it the employee-boss relationship, but let's consider together next week what the scriptures say about the bondservant and the master. So come back and check it out at that time. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star review. I would love the help because that helps the analytics get this show into the search bars of other people when they're looking for Bible-based content. So help me out. Leave a five-star review. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well, it's real.